Hi, I'm Eric Gurna of Development Without Limits, and this is Please Speak Freely, the podcast where we have honest conversations about youth development and education. with Dr. Paul Heckman here at the School of Education at University of California at Davis. Um, I don't know exactly what your precise title is. It's um, Professor and Associate Dean. My, so my, my job is Associate Dean, and then the other stuff I do is my work. Okay. So Associate Dean is my job. So it's sort of like Clark Kent, but Superman? That's sort of Superman the alter ego. type of thing, yeah, 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 yeah. But we're not waiting for him. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about whether we're waiting for Superman or racing anywhere. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I was saying that I, we've known each other long enough that I have, you know, lots of conversations with you to tap into in my mind to think about what I wanted to talk to you about today. And what I, what I found that was interesting was that um, I found in, in the notes I was taking, I found that there was things that you've said in the course of conversations that is stuck in my brain. Mm-hmm. And so I have a few of those to sort of throw out there um, as, as a way of sort of structuring our conversation, I guess, but, but also because um, they're, they're things that they stuck in my brain because I continue to think about them. Good. You know, not so much because they're quotables, but right. that they're ideas that I continue to struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I don't. I don't really know exactly where I wanted to start. I had something a little bit unusual that I that I want to do. I want to actually show you something, yeah. um, a little clip of a video of something, and ask you to mm-hmm. respond to it. I'll set it up a little bit, um, not so much by telling you what you're going to see, but by saying why it is that this struck me as something that I wanted to show you. Mm-hmm. Um, you operate in the in the realm of academics at the university setting, but also schools and school school districts and youth programs at the ground level. Of, of working with young people mm-hmm. directly. Mm-hmm. And um, in that, I think you are, uh, you're around a lot of the arguments that are made, a lot of the debates that are being had at the policy level, but also at the school level. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm especially interested to talk about the level, the debates that are happening at the school level, which may or may not mirror and reflect some of the debates in Washington or mm-hmm. here in Sacramento or mm-hmm. other, you know, policy settings. Um, and, you know, I guess you've you've been around long enough to see different arguments come and go. Maybe, mm-hmm. not to make any comment on no, on age, you know, how long I, you've been around. Right. But, um, and so this particular video clip sort of struck me as sort of, um, sort of wrapping up some of the some of these kinds of arguments. And I'm just maybe I'll just show it to you and yeah, then um, see what you think. Good evening. Good evening. I have your attention. Yes. Thank you. Good evening. As always, we are really grateful for those of you who pitch in here and add your ideas. Except you never use any of our ideas or really listen. Jay, I don't think you can say that and be fair. Look, I am more than happy to look at your ideas. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Uh, Chris is here to talk about some ways we are trying to include more physical activity in the curriculum to deal with this fatigue problem. I'm sorry, what was that? Sorry? Oh, uh, it's uh, it's my first PTA meeting. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thanks. Uh, I just was wondering what is meant by the fatigue problem? Yeah, I'm curious about that, too. It's also my first PTA meeting. I work. Hi. The fatigue problem is what was identified in the first quarter of the school year as being a marked decline in the spirit and interest and energy of the kids here, usually around noon or right after lunch. It's because of the lunch. They aren't given enough time to eat. No, it's not that. They're being demoralized. You fill them with academics. You don't tell them who they are. 
For now, we are focusing on the lack of physical activity. Now, we still don't have a gym because of last year's diarrhea flood. Excuse me, excuse me. Yes. My name is Nancy Cartesian. My son is never Cartesian. Oh, Jesus. He has definitely suffered from the fatigue syndrome. In my opinion, it's because of the competitive nature of the school, of the children. I've been reading about this Reggio teaching method from Italy. It's like Montessori, only it's a little bit more creative. When are they supposed to dance? It's the academics. This place is still stuck in the 70s. Who still teaches math anymore? We've been talking about introducing some competitive sports. I think our kids just need to be allowed to play more creatively. You are all way off. This Isn't it just... It's, it's school, right? So, I mean, school sucks, right? I mean, you, you do what you can uh, to improve it, but it's not, it's, in the end, there's a limit, because it's school. And school sucks. Remember? <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Thoughts, reactions to that? Oh, there are a number of things that go through my head. I mean, all at once, so they're colliding. But, um, I mean, part of it is what the gentleman at the end said. It is school. And what each of the comments, I think, reflected were different versions of people what under, as they understood school. Um, mm -hmm. it, for example, I mean, the one thing that comes to mind is the adults are trying to figure out what's going to happen for kids. We're not asking kids what should happen for them mm. and following them, listening to them, uh, certainly having a point of view, but it often seems to me there's a guy, um, political scientist at Yale, his name is uh, Robert Dahl, and he has a book called Democracy and Its Critics. One section that he builds on is a concept called guardianship uh, in which over the decades different arguments have been made about who then can take care of themselves. So that's mm -hmm. what I think is often meant in our Bill of Rights and other forms of our Constitution, mm -hmm. that we believe the citizen can, in fact, figure things out for themselves. Mm -hmm. But we've used guardianship as a rationale as to why slaves, African Americans, couldn't take care of themselves, which is justified why they had to be slaves, why they didn't have the right to vote. We've done that with women. Mm -hmm. up until more recently, uh, and we certainly do it with children, arguing that they have to be taken care of. And I think there's a difference between taking care of and caring about. Mm. So the, the notion of unconditional regard that Carl Rogers and others had put out there is a very different notion than I'm doing things for you so that it will help you and because you can't possibly figure this out for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think in that clip, that's what I think I was more struck by. Is mm -hmm. The principal figured out what the problem was, um, thinking some of it was about parents, thinking some of it was about the food, nutrition, whatever. Uh, the parents were thinking about, again, things that would take care of it for the school. But mm -hmm. again, the main principal, P.L., PALs in this case, principal actors, the teachers and the kids had very little to say about it. So, um, and it seems to me that's at the heart of really taking seriously that we're going to find out what kids understand, what they're interested in, what their prior knowledge is, and give them a great deal of voice in figuring out, not just by themselves, but in negotiation with adults, in mm -hmm. my view. Yeah. It One of the things that struck me about it is the the notion that there's a there's a certain curriculum or a certain approach or a certain whatever professional development or something that's going to fix the problem. Right. right. Um, yeah. And, and just the, the construct of that is, you know, that there's a, there's a problem that needs a fix. Right. right. Um, and it, it reminds me of that more and more in, in the after school field and the out of school time field, whatever we want to call it, you hear this sort of what I think of as medical sort of jargon. There's like, there's an intervention that has to happen at a certain dosage mm -hmm. in order for certain, you know, results to be achieved. And, right. and then you can measure those results according to a set of measurements that you came up with at the very beginning before you right. um, implemented the intervention. Right. Um, and it doesn't seem to me that this is a, a, it seems to me like this is a way of talking about things that makes it easy to talk about them, but it doesn't seem to me like it's a way of talking about yeah. things that actually is an accurate 
are accurate describers of what we're actually trying to do. Yep, no, I agree. And I think there, it's just, I've been, on a piece that I'm writing right now, I've been back looking at uh, Ralph Tyler and um, um, Joseph Schwab and a number of other who were thought of as, um, along with Goodlad, who were thought of as curriculum people. Mm-hmm. But they were writing in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And people would say, well, that's in the good old days, and it's not relevant. But I think there was an assumption they made about the importance of local. And that up until very recently, we had very, most districts, for example, Sonoma County is a good example from here. There are multiple districts there. They're all 150 students, Mm. 200. Mm -hmm. Um, When the school consolidation movement started, the assumption was that was a bad thing because you couldn't be efficient. So we consolidated, but there were there was a study done by Barker and Gump talking about how important small was. So in a in a school that had a hundred students, everybody would say, "Well, you can't get all those other things you're supposed to get." But what happened is everybody participated. You had to be on the football team, and even if you weren't athletic, you just had to know how to lie down and knock somebody <laughs> over. Um, if you were playing on the baseball team, it didn't matter; just stop the ball. But everybody participated. Right. Um, But there was a belief in the local, and I think we've gotten to this notion of Mm -hmm. large-scale, more corporate notions. And what it denies, then, is the importance of taking into account what is known locally. A guy by the name of Clifford Gertz calls it local knowledge. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, tell me when I should stop here, but it strikes me that one of the things neuroscientists tell us, we all have about 100 trillion neuronal connections in our minds. That's the average. Uh, means there's a bunch of memories. The neural connections are where memories are. Mm -hmm. What that means is everybody, and we all also know that everybody has those, irrespective of income, irrespective of culture, irrespective of land mass on which one lives, Mm -hmm. that characterizes human beings. Well, if you start thinking about permutations, the various ways that people now understand the world with those hundred trillion, Mm we don't have a uniform way of understanding the world. Local then becomes very important. Mm-hmm. Context matters, it influences what we know, and therefore what's going on in rural Kansas and what children know and understand would differ from what's going on in urban Sacramento mm-hmm. or Oakland or New York City or whatever. Um, now that doesn't matter, we wouldn't have some common ideas we're trying to get at, but we would allow for a lot more wiggle room and so when we start thinking about we can come in with a package that will accommodate those variations, just take 30 children, take 100 trillion now synaptic connections, mm-hmm. and imagine the permutations that exist with that 30. One teacher, unless they're very omniscient, and I don't know of anyone who is, can't know what they're all thinking. And we have to, again, allow children to express that, figure it out, and have a lot of voice Mm -hmm. with enough wiggle room that they can all be compelled and engaged. That can't happen with a one-size-fit-all effort, despite the call for standards. I think what the call is instead is for standardization, not standards. And there's a difference between having standards and standardization. And and this is really one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because uh, there's... Wherever I go, people talk about um, models, and a lot of people talk about uh, a model that's prevalent amongst the sort of flagship charter schools right now, as, and it's being held up. You know, if you look at Race to the Top and other sorts of um, things that are coming down from the, from the government, which are essentially, I look at them as mandates. They're just right. using the carrot instead of the stick to, to create the um, change within districts mm-hmm. and states. Um, they're towards a particular model and it's a model that can be fairly easily described so that you can say it there's you know however many elements of it and you can create the manual so that you can quote unquote replicate it um and it was a i want to say a year or two ago i don't remember we were at a conference together you and i were at a conference together i think it was the i think it was actually the bridge conference Mm -hmm. um which coincidentally has sponsored several episodes of this podcast yeah um, for schools at washington um, and um, you were doing a small group session and I was just kind of sitting in and you were talking about the, the model of schooling that your, 
using and, and, and collaborating with here in Sacramento, which right. I'd love to hear yeah. more about. Yeah. Um, and someone in the crowd raised their hand and said, I really love these ideas. How do we take it to scale? And your answer was, you don't. Um, you And it was something like, and you can fill in here, but it was something like, you, you do it where you are, and we right. do it where we are, and we maybe can connect, and there can be a movement that, that, right. that forms. Right. And that's a really different notion than you do it, you figure it out, tell me how to do it, and I'm going to do an exact version of that someplace else, right. yeah. um, which seems to be the sort of replication or scale model that's right. really being advocated for right, right now. Right. Um, and I can't seem to put my finger on exactly what's wrong with that with this that, that, that scale that model. I keep thinking, well, we need a flagship right. for our side. Right. To compete with the flagship from, yeah. you know, that side, right. whatever it is, right. um, but it, it feels wrong. That that whole dichotomy feels like it's not right. going to work either. Right. Well, and and it, again, it seems to me that there's. I mean, we've Robert Helper and Reed Larson and I are doing a paper right now um, that uh, Dick Roberts and W. T. Grant and a number of other people have encouraged us to do and provided some funding. It's to kind of create, see if we can create a counter narrative. So a mm-hmm. counter narrative is different than a model. Mm-hmm. And it's like what sets of ideas and relationships among them do we imagine could guide us? Mm-hmm. So I often use the, diff- the notion of a North Star. So North Stars guide us, but we never say we're going there. So a sailor mm-hmm. wouldn't mm-hmm. say, I'm using the stars. I mean, they use other navigation devices, but if they were lost, they'd say, I'm using the, scar- the stars to- by which to navigate. But they would never argue the reason they're doing that is to go to the star. That's great. Yeah. And it seems to me that's what we're after in this counter narrative. Yeah. How do we have a set of, in a sense, North stars that are grounded in what we know and are, n- are not simply fictitious? So, um, for example, we had something many years ago. It was called the School Effectiveness Movement. Mm-hmm. A guy by the name of Ron Edmonds, who was at Harvard, um, had decided that he could distill X number of features of effective schools. Mm -hmm. And at first he came up with a list of eight features. And not unlike what we hear from interesting, a similar guy evidently at Harvard, who's now doing a project in Houston, trying to take, distill from Kip and uh, what's the one in Harlem? Uh, Not not Jeff's uh, school, but uh, there's another one that some woman okay. there has. It's a charter school, but trying to take from these effective charter schools, what are the features? Well, they're general features. Like the, in Ron Edmonds, it was a strong principle. Right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No. Are they? Can they lift how many pounds of weights? Right. Uh-huh. Or are they just vociferous? Do they have a big mouth? Uh-huh. Or do they quietly lead in some way, but somebody ascribes something to them? They're doing the same thing in this list here. There are five that they're coming up with. Again, longer school day. Um, Not saying what goes on during the school day that's Mm -hmm. longer, uh, of strong principle, whatever that means. Those are, in a sense, North Stars, right? But there's all kinds of wiggle room in there for people to interpret them, which is why it will never be implemented as a model. Right. Because the variation that's there. And So I'm trying to be more realistic here and say, let's hook on to a couple, a set of ideas mm-hmm. that are grounded in research. For example, the mind has great capacity. So when we start talking about children having limits, mm-hmm. or when we talk about children being in need of remediation, it's not grounded in what we know. Do mm-hmm. When we say when there's, there should be great attention to prior knowledge then, to metacognition, kids have to be active, and I don't mean just physically, but that helps a great deal, but mm-hmm. also mentally, very active to be engaged. All of that stuff we can distill from research right now. Let's get a hold of some of those. Plus then the purpose, and my view is the purpose is of schooling, public schooling, and I hope it's a bigger public than we've had, uh, has to do with active democratic citizenship. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, having a productive economy is a small part of that. But a large part of it is citizens believing they can make a difference, understanding that they do count, that no one has to take care of them in the sense, but together they can create conditions for themselves. So it's then having a set of ideas like that. That's what we try to do at the school in West Sac, Mm -hmm. is try to say we have a set of ideas here, North Stars. We have a set of habits of mind that we're trying to promote. They're broad. 
things like finding questions, mm -hmm. providing evidence, things like demonstrating, providing products or productions or performances that reflect those and being metacognitive about those and reflecting about those. Mm -hmm. That's what we're after. And how are they like what a real scientist does, a historian, etc. Now, that's what we're arguing for. But I think we need a thousand points of light now, not to borrow too much from the bushes. Uh, Paul Heckman, yeah. George, quoting That's right. Bush. <laughs> but that what we need are a lot of ideas because we need variation. Yeah. And what we've instead settled on is to get standardization and believing that the old model, the so-called, and I put that in quotes, yeah. the sole set of ideas and practices are what should guide us into the 21st century. Even though we're arguing we should go into the 21st century. Yeah. Well, we're there whether we like like it or not, right? Right, right. Um, the, so what comes up for me is that while I wholeheartedly agree with the approach and love to engage with all the different dimensions of it, when you take it to the broader public mm -hmm. context of people who are not in this for their work and are not necessarily, don't find this fascinating and interesting, but want to know what needs to be done to... to create better schools, for kids to not drop out, and for the, the measurements that are being publicized of the success of schools to be better, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So as test scores or whatever is being publicized. Um, it's, I feel like it's a lot harder to describe all of that mm -hmm. than it is to say longer hours, uh, more teacher accountability, high stakes testing, you know, the, the, the sort of pillars of what has been defined as now the education mm -hmm. reform movement. Right. Um, I was recently told that I'm actually considered anti-education reform because I'm not in favor of those particular policy yeah. statements. So well, you're in favor of you're not in favor of the existing schooling reforms, but education right. yeah. is something far broader than schooling. Yeah, I mean, I certainly yeah. don't want things to stay the way they are. So I don't really know how right. how right. we got to a place where right. someone. Right people like you and me could be considered anti-education reform. But it, it's a political argument. It's a political debate. Sure. Um, but it's like, how do we... I mean, to me, it's a classic problem of the, the political left, right? Is that the, the, the people on the political right, and I'm not making... I'm making an analogy here. I'm not right. saying they're the same as the people right. pushing the... No. Um, pushing the so-called education reform movement. I would call that the democratic right. Mm -hmm. um, but the people on the political right have slogans that everyone can line up behind and they can be easily understood. Right. And the people on the political left say, well, it's complicated. And, you know, let's hear these different points of view and there, we need to weave together solutions and it's contextual. And that that, um, that process leads to a lot of people tuning out and saying, well, they don't have any coherent mm -hmm. ideas. They don't have a solution. Right. I was recently, I recently had a meeting with someone who's supporting um, some, some charter schools and was interested in learning some other perspectives because they were, they were just sort of hearing the party line mm -hmm. and they were interested in hearing some other perspectives. And when I shared some of those other perspectives, they thought they were interesting but said, well, but isn't it better than nothing? Like when I go into one of these schools and sure, I'm not that in favor of the kids having to walk in a silent line in the hallway. The kids, his kids happen to go to a nice private school that's very sort of progressive and their mm -hmm. kids don't have to walk right. in silent lines. But isn't it better than um, chaos and danger that is in some other school? Right? That's presumed to be in other Right, that's presumed right. to be in some other school. Right. Right. Um, if you watch Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer or any right. of those right. movies. Right. Um, or if you walk into some schools that are somewhat chaotic sure. um, and feel unsafe in the hallways right. at, at passing period or whatever, because I've been in schools like that, and I went to sure. schools like that, and sometimes right. they were unsafe. Right. Um, so how do we, like, I want to say we need to be able to package those arguments in such a way that they can get some traction in the more mainstream debate, because otherwise we just get run over like a steam train. Yeah. Well, again, I think there has to be research evidence, and I don't mean just in the narrow sense of research, but for, but I think we do have terms. So, for example, we, the reason I make and we're writing papers about it and also in the school our argument is educational attainment is more important as a measure mm -hmm. than is educational achievement, mm -hmm. right? So those on one side say it's educational achievement. That's test scores. Right. What do we know about test scores predicting later success? They don't. Right. 
right? I mean, I'm happy to, and the same thing is true for IQ scores. They do a little bit, right? But it accounts for about 10% of the variance, mm -hmm. right? The IQ scores. The IQ scores and achievement test scores all are in about the same, Okay. have th that much predictive validity. Now yeah. that's, that's an, let's say a hard number and it's been consistent over the years. Mm -hmm. Educational attainment, we, here's what we know about it right now. More years of schooling completed. Does not matter if you get A, Bs, or Cs. Mm -hmm. What matters is you get more years of schooling. Mm -hmm. A high school completer makes more income than a high school dropout. Mm -hmm. A college completer makes far more income than a high school diploma. And a post-graduate degree makes more than any of those. Right. Now that's just on income side. Right. But we also know related to that are better health outcomes. Mm. All this talk about health care. If we were on the preventative side and people, it appears, who have more years of schooling, smoke less, exercise more, mm -hmm. do those things. And they also better participate in the democracy. We can find those, me those, me those um, realities for those, for test scores and letter grades. Mm -hmm. Now, to me, that's, a, that's just so. Now, we can argue about whether or not we also should look at achievement. But my view is attainment is it. And then the question is, what leads to attainment? Engagement. Mm -hmm. Then we have to say, what are the features of engagement? And again, there are, there are numerous research studies focused on what are the, they're not just soft numbers. Right. They've been, in a sense, looked at, examined through observation and questionnaires and everything else. Now, that's as powerful as some of this other stuff. So for example, this value added stuff, it's interesting, but it had doesn't, again, a national, um, an AERA panel looked at this stuff. And like everybody else, they don't see the consequences that everybody's arguing for as much as we see the consequences for educational attainment. Mm -hmm. So if we had to measure those, that's what we had. So in public health, we're busy trying to say to people, this is what we know. Right. PSA test is a good example. Right, the what? The, for prostate cancer. Okay, yeah. Right, do you take it or don't you? Well, it's not just a matter. Of I prefer it. It's a political ba right. right or left. What we know right now is, if there are certain factors, absolutely. But in general, you're more likely to have a false positive. Mm -hmm. Right. So don't do it as often. Right. Do it, right. That doesn't mean don't do it. But what do we know? We do know a lot about exercise, mm -hmm. and we know a lot about diet. That's what public health focus, folks focus on. I think we have to do the same thing. And those become the basis for whatever you want to talk about as the markers. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jefferson, the reason he believed education and man and all the others saw it as critical for democracy is so that an informed citizenry, not just a Jacksonian, hey, we all think this, let's go rush the city hall and demand, it was the idea that citizens would be able to debate and dialogue. I mean, I find, while I don't always like what David Brooks says uh -huh. in the New York Times, I at least can read him because I know he will be providing his evidence. Right. Krugman will provide his evidence. And when they sometimes get together, they offer different perspectives. Mm -hmm. I saw Brooks and Robert Reich together on a panel. Mm -hmm. But they weren't just saying oh, it just doesn't matter. Let me just make my arguments. They each provided evidence. The audience could decide on that. Right. But a lot of this school reform stuff is not debated that way. It's not discussed in what do we now know, especially, I mean, the thing that Reed and Robert and I are trying to do is we've learned more about human learning and cognition in the last 20 years than we knew in the previous 500. Mm -hmm. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but it's a dramatic shift in what we understand because of all the attention to mind and neuroscience. That is not reflected in what's going on in school. Drill and kill does not reflect what we now know. Now, does it mean we should never drill and kill? Of course not. But it's only with those things that we believe you must absolutely know. When, you, right. when your daughter, right, uh -huh. you make her memorize her phone number, right? right? Good, good thing, mm -hmm. right? Now, you could also give you her heuristic. Right. You could have it tattooed on her hand, right? <laughs> I mean, if you, de de right. but, but you know that's important. And there's a lot of ways to memorize it. There's something. a lot of ways to memorize There's a lot of ways to remember it. Yeah. I have now on my iPhone a memo pad. 
Mm-hmm. I have all kinds of things in best restaurants, what right. I like to order in the place, because I can't remember it, right. and why should I? Right. But I know I have to know it. Yeah. One of the problems is a lot of the stuff we say kids have to know, we have no idea that they really have to know it. Sure. The stuff we say here at the university, A to G, you have to know this to succeed in, at the University of California. We have little to no empirical evidence of the particulars. Mm-hmm. Should you know the periodic chart and to what degree? Or should you be able to know how to use the period? So notice I'm not dissing the periodic chart. What I'm asking is, do you have to know all the weights and all the various elements? Or do you have to know about the periodic chart and its use and then use it? Right, yeah, and also what does it mean to know all of them even if you know them? Because if you right. memorize them for the test, right. I mean, I, right. I, I memorized things that I have since forgotten right. for right. the purpose of being able to succeed Well, there's nothing wrong. I mean, here's what I want to be clear on. When we talk about knowing, we're mm-hmm. talking about memory. Yeah. What we're not talking about is instantaneous recovery of it because most of us mm. can only, the reason telephone numbers are about seven digits yeah. is that's what we can usually keep in our short-term memory. Mm-hmm. The reason metacognition is so important is to know what you know, and you know a bunch, but then you need heuristics. That's what the periodic chart does. So what is chem- heuristics? Uh, uh, kind of a framework, a set of hangers. Mm-hmm. So what the periodic chart does for chemists who use a particular range of elements mm-hmm. in their work, they know all of that. Mm-hmm. But when they get to other places, they don't go, damn, excuse me. They don't go, it's darn, okay. it's what, they, what they do is they go, I think, I, let me look at the weights. Right. What explains this, mm-hmm. right? They know and how now, to figure it out. Well, but they're also then bringing up their memory mm-hmm. of all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So the reason psychoanalysts have had a good time with people in their memories, yeah. right, is because what happens is you never forget that stuff, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. start remembering from way back when. Right. Because it's in your mind. Yeah. What is important, though, is how do you retrieve it? How do you bring it to mind mm-hmm. in working on something? Mm-hmm. So what we don't want to do, what I don't want to do is dismemory. Right. What I want to do is dismemorization on things that don't really aren't consequential. Yeah. And that forgets that we have a bunch of memories. But what we need to do is spend much more time, time being metacognitive, reflective, looking at it in relationship to what we're doing and why we're doing it, rather than just on autopilot. So um, that r- reminds me a little bit of something in the, the scene that we watched from Louie, where the, the woman says, um, the school is stuck in the 70s. I mean, who teaches math anymore? Right. Um, which it, it made me laugh because there, but it also made me think because I feel like we often get criticized for, and I talked about this with Karen Pittman recently mm-hmm. on the podcast. We mm-hmm. um, we often get criticized for being um, fluff for mm-hmm. the for the w- work we do, especially when it comes to social emotional development and activities that allow young people to share something of themselves or to connect about something other than the academic topic at hand. Um, that we get criticized as it being sort of like uh, just all icebreakers and not right. deep and certainly right. not rigorous. Right. Um, and, and I heard when you were saying I'm not dissing memory or memorizing things, um, but, you know, sort of being critical of what right. gets memorized and how right. and why right. And, right. and what it means and how to, how, how to access it. Um, that there's, there's a criticism, I feel like, that is also aimed at um, those of us who advocate for connecting with what young people know um, mm-hmm. starting from what young people are interested in, having them sort of lead the way in the process of learning right. or in the process of exploring a topic. Um, and that it's that it's not rigorous enough and that it doesn't, um, it won't end up with them knowing sort of the classics or knowing the basics of math or, you know, the, the sort of things that we all learned in school. Right. And it reminds me of something that, that I heard you talk about um, in your work with the school in Sacramento and elsewhere, which is, and even in our work years ago at LA's Best, helping after school staff um, help young people to explore science or help mm-hmm. young people to explore history. And that was that the idea isn't that they're going to be there to, to learn science, that they're going to learn how to think like scientists, or they're going to learn how to think like historians, or act like historians, act like scientists. Can you say a little bit about, I may be butchering it, so can you say a little bit about that or what that means? I think you've got always a, 
a steel trap mine. So <laughs> I'm not so sure, but well, that's I think a good example. So I think our our kids at the school in West Sac, we want them to be strong in mathematics, but we have to define what mathematics we're talking about. And there, I think there are two parts to it. One of the things we've, again, learned from cognitive scientists, anthropologists, all of us have mathematics in our mind. So there's been studies of women, and they happen to be women because they were done in the, in the late 80s uh, because of all the gender stuff. Okay. They looked at women shopping. Mm -hmm. And how do they choose the best price? What they found is they... When they used their own algorithm, they mm -hmm. got the best price 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. When they were asked to use the school algorithm, mm -hmm. they only got it right about 45 to 50%. Right. So we do know people have algorithms in their heads. Mm -hmm. We know that, for example, carpenters use the carpenter square. They can figure out angles, side, angle, side, mm -hmm. without ever doing the geometric school calculations, mm -hmm. but they have an algorithm. Masons are the same thing. They know about distance, they know about volume, they know all of that, but they don't always determine it that way. Little kids know about number. Mm -hmm. Little kids know about amounts. What they don't always know it is in the school terms. So then the question is, can we build off of that and say, how do you know that? So we just had some kids who were taught, they, they tried to, they were trying to think of how to make a motor that was going to drive something. Mm -hmm. And they thought if they used this motor and then they took it and put it over here, it would work. And they were standing in their performance delivering what they thought, mm -hmm. and then they said it didn't work. Mm. I said, that's interesting. Why? Mm -hmm. Well, this wire. Well, what about that wire? So you notice what I'm trying to do mm -hmm. is get them now to theorize, right. to explain, right. and then to say, what do we know about that? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're soft on. And we're soft on that in regular schooling too. Mm -hmm. Because what we don't ask kids to do is tell us why they think something is either the date or why something might be the right number or why something is the right interpretation. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do at the school is to say, then how do, what's the source of evidence that scientists use? How do they weigh good evidence? How do they determine a, a strong basis for analysis. Mm -hmm. Same thing with historians. Mm -hmm. They don't use the same data. They use different data. They have different criteria. We want kids not just being able to do it, but also being able to reflect and argue why what they've just done meets the criteria of what a sound scientific investigation would be, what a, the way a mathematician would think about things. Right. So mathematicians do a whole lot of refuting, conjecturing, uh, showing demonstrating the aesthetics mm -hmm. of something. Kids can do that. Right. But what they can't do it is if we also say, and you're going to do that on top of the old stuff. Mm. I think if we're really talking about change, we have to get rid of stuff, mm -hmm. right? This mm -hmm. is not about just piling on mm -hmm. or a trash compactor. Yeah. It means we have to make choices. So we made choices about Latin. Now, some people are upset about that, right. but we didn't say you're going to keep learning Latin and we said, probably right now, Latin isn't as important as. Now, I'm, I happen to take Miss Doty. I had three years of Latin, but uh -huh. I wouldn't argue that everybody else has to have that. There ought to be evidence why we're doing that. But we can't keep doing the same old things and then say, and by the way, we're also going to do these other more thoughtful things on top of it. And now, mm -hmm. that, that school you're working with, that's a, you're working with the whole school, right? right? Now, so but what you just described, I think, is the is a huge issue in in the after school field, mm -hmm. because we're coming in. Oftentimes, we're coming in with an approach where we want to do more project based things, and we want things to be more youth led. We want there to be more choice and opportunities for interaction, um, and all of that. But it, it it's ninety nine percent of the time on top of right. the old stuff. That's right. right. And, and in fact, the only times that I've seen it not be on top of the old stuff has actually been in charter schools where they're making a real effort within the charter school to be more project based and all of that overall. And then right. they sort of extend that into the after school. Right. But for the most part, the schools that we're working with in after school are, you know, under the pressure of the standardized test scores. And they're designated in, in New York. It's called CINE, Schools in Need mm -hmm. of Improvement, which mm -hmm. means, you know, you're 
you're sort of failing as a school mm -hmm. in a certain way. The state's telling you you need to improve these things, mm -hmm. and so they're under all this pressure. Then the after school comes in to support that work and do right. it in a more you know, fun way or right. sort of do that same stuff, but do it more youth led. Right. 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 And you're, you, I, what I hear you saying is that's, it's, it's kind of a sham to think that we can do that. Yeah. You, I, I think it's impossible. I think, well, there are two parts. Just as we're making arguments about the way children learn and their capacity and everything else, we have to make the same assumptions about the adults who work with them. And we don't. I think we still treat the adults like we treat kids, especially those who are poor and of color, mm -hmm. as if they know nothing, mm -hmm. they have nothing in their heads, they come from very impoverished mm -hmm. settings, therefore what would you expect? Right. That's contrary to what we're arguing here. We're arguing kids come loaded, mm -hmm. they have a lot, they know a lot, irrespective of the environments from which they come, and they also have a lot in their mind and they have great capacity. And one of the things we know from neuroscience all of us have great plasticity and ad adaptability. Mm -hmm. That's what we've learned from post-traumatic brain injury, mm -hmm. right? We're amazed at Gabby Giffords. Right. We shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. We should be thankful, right? right? right. But the mind, that's what it has to do. It yeah. has to learn. It has to know. It has to make connections. Mm -hmm. It's true for children, mm -hmm. also true for adults, mm -hmm. which is also the problem with, let's say, taking packaged materials, bringing it to people, in a sense, bringing coals to Newcastle. Mm because the issue mm -hmm. here is they already have it. Right. What we have to do is work with it. That's what we've done at the school. So when we opened the school, granted we brought new people in, but we didn't expect new people to come in with new ideas. Mm -hmm. We expected them to come in with old ideas. And then did what? And then we started working with them to help them learn. Mm -hmm. That meant unpacking, being metacognitive about what was guiding them during their day. Mm -hmm. So we every week we have three hour what we call dialogues. We had those at LA's Best, mm -hmm. if you remember. Yeah. This has gone on for the last, this is our fifth year now, mm -hmm. five years. We don't come in and say, you ought to, why aren't you doing this? We start with, so what's going on? Mm -hmm. How come? Why? Are there better explanations? Mm -hmm. And then we also do reading, of course, mm -hmm. but we're trying to challenge these notions that people have, like we first have to give them the basics. Mm -hmm. Rather than arguing against I have to say, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. do you, they say the kids know nothing. Really, nothing? Let's ask them. Do you, yeah. And we have done that over the last five years. So they have learned, and what the teachers have created, they created. I certainly have pushed them, I've encouraged them, I've had doctoral students working there, interacting with them, but never with the notion of, here's what you ought to do. Always with, how, how are you doing that? So right now we're trying to work on these habits of mind yeah. for an alternative assessment system. Mm -hmm. The teachers have been generating those. I wasn't around for the one week meeting when they had it in August when they started to rethink these. Mm -hmm. They've actually come up with things that I would have hoped they would have come up with, but had no influence directly. Do you, I had well, some indirect yeah. influence, but yeah. not, not directly. But that indirect influence, I mean, I would say that in my mind, what you're doing in those sessions is that you're also you're modeling the the a, a new kind of teaching process or a new kind yeah. of facilitation yeah. process or whatever we want to call I'm it. I'm certainly encouraged. You're so, guiding right. the conversation. So we have to create the conditions for learning. Yeah. One of the conditions is people have to be metacognitive. One of the conditions they have to say why. Right. You know why. One of the conditions they have to try things out. They have to be supported in doing all of that, too. Same with kids. Kids are not going to do courageous things without the support and help. But it doesn't mean they can't do courageous things. It doesn't mean they can't do inventive things, but right. we have to create the conditions. That's what we're trying to sort out. That's what the paper that Reed and I, with Robert, are trying to do. We're trying to say, what do we now know might be the conditions for learning? Now. How that gets enacted is going to vary a great deal. But to go back to your earlier question, part of what we don't do with after schools or with schools is believe the adults can and should be learning. We think they should come, and one of the problems with charters is they believe people get burned out with, after three or four years. They'll bring in a new uh, set of people who will equal have equal energy. But what they haven't done is saying, we want to keep these people learning and developing. Right. Now, if they do, I'm all for it. I'm not sure. arguing against that. But the idea is 
What we've done in the production, industrial production model, is we believe all we need is raw materials. Mm -hmm. The workers being one set of raw materials. Right. We forget about the human capital that's necessary. And human capital, that's what Katz, um, Lawrence Katz, um, Claudia Golden, their economists at Harvard are arguing. Mm -hmm. We've got to focus on creating more knowledge and skills, but that only comes with more years of education and development. So what do people who are running after school programs who believe in all of this but are in the situation that they're in running programs in you know, schools that are in econo serving economically poorer students and families and that are facing the pressures that they're facing right now, what, do you have any advice or guidance for them on what they should be doing? Well, I, don't, I mean, it depends on the situation, right? But it, it strikes me, I'll give you an example. At our school, we understand the students have to take the test, mm -hmm. right? But we don't have to take the stuff in them seriously, do you? Mm -hmm. So you have to take them, but you have to understand their limits. So one of my arguments that we've been making at the school is we believe the reason upper middle class kids, and that's a great predictor, SES predicts scores. Absolutely. Socioeconomic status. What explains? Why would that be the case? One, one variable we're working with is the kids feel entitled to figure out the right answer because there isn't mm -hmm. a right answer. Mm -hmm. There's a choice. Usually there are two answers that are most likely mm -hmm. the right answer. You have to choose the one that you believe the test maker mm -hmm. or those who created the item want you to choose. Mm -hmm. The only way you're going to do that is to figure out all the parts that are around it and take a shot. Mm -hmm. do you, that's what we're trying to do with our kids. We're not trying to say there's a right answer. We're trying to say, use what you have in your head. You have great thoughts, figure it out. So therefore, we're not, we don't practice the test. What we but try- wouldn't you wanna practice the test if, you, if you're to practice figuring out which answer is most likely the one that the test maker yeah but what you don't want to do is get too for. focused on those as the correct answers because there are going to be right. ide other items presented yeah so one of the things we know i believe is these tests have high reliability meaning meaning you take it again and again and again you get approximately the same score mm -hmm. right they have low validity that's the predictive part we were talking about so what that means is even if you could know the particular things here, that same stuff isn't going to be on the next one. Different stuff that measures a similar construct, Yeah. but it's a different item. Right, but and wouldn't you want to practice the process of choosing, of figuring out, of analyzing sure, which Sure, but that's what we're doing. See, answer. my view is that's what we're doing with our kids all day all long. All the time, okay. That's what their projects are about, is way. thinking. How do you know that? What's the evidence? What do you know? What would help help you analyze this? So, but do you think that after school programs who are working with kids who are in a traditional school all day, who are focusing mostly on reading and math to prepare for the standardized tests most of the time, and the after school program gets them for a couple of hours in which they have to do snack and help with homework and then do some activities, can what can they do? It's, it's a very well, different situation yeah, than being is. the right. school itself. But that's what, I mean, I don't know what Carla would say. Carla sanger well, we'll best. But I think we'll when you talk to her, I think we've been trying to argue in several things we've written and what I think she says she's trying to do is yeah. focus on engagement. Yeah. That when kids are engaged, mm -hmm. that is two things. One is they stay and stay in the program. Right. The other thing, she has some data from the UCLA um, um, evaluations, right? The kids actually seem to stay in school, right? Right. They seem to go on to post-secondary. To me, that's a more important criterion. Mm -hmm. So if I were an after-school provider, I'd say, how do I get my kids engaged? The positive consequences of that are probably far greater than if I can repeat the same sets of activities they have in school, focused on the same things, and their engagement drops. Mm -hmm. Or even if you keep them engaged, if they're not really being metacognitive, if they're not being focused on what they know and their interests, they are not being advantaged. Right. I mean, to me, that's the evidence. So when we use up a kid's hour, it ought to be done on productive things, not unproductive things. Um, and that ought to be in light of what we say we know, the evidence, etc. So my, my 
plea always in in school and after school is let's get kids engaged. Mm -hmm. Meaning, and we can measure that, mm -hmm. right? We know when kids are interested. I mean, Sex Mihaly, uh, the, uh, uh, Mihaly, Sex Mihaly, who uh, did a lot with something called Flow. Right. He actually documented. This is the name that no one can pronounce. And that's so, right, but it's yeah. sexy when you're at a party. Yeah. So, hey, do you know Mihaly? <laughs> I was like, hey, this is a family podcast. <laughs> what, are you trying to, what are you getting at here? But... But, but the yeah, idea here is yeah. when they were in flow, yeah. they were focused, sure. all of their energy was there. You have to believe positive yeah. things are happening versus when kids are saying, are we done yet? Right. When, when can we take, when can we have stack? Right. Or when are we going to go out to play? Right. That to me right. is a, sucks. that sucks. <laughs> and now they might still be there because their friends are there. Mom and dad says they have to be there or mom or guardian. But the idea here is when kids are engaged, positive things happen. Right. They absolutely, that's what the Perry Preschool stuff mm -hmm. shows. Mm -hmm. That even though it was short dosage, relatively during preschool, mm -hmm. and even though it washed out in elementary school, it didn't wash out later on. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, to me, that's that's being purpose-driven, Yeah. right? And you can't, it's long-term versus short-term. Now, the threat is, I know, well, if we don't do that, the school is going to go further into improvement. But what we don't have evidence is if you do it, you'll get out of it. Right. Because what we're finding is more and more schools are being identified as, I don't, what do you call in it? Cine, in your, schools in improvement. You know, the, it's not going down. Right. It's going up right. because it's an unrealistic algorithm they're right. using. So better we should engage kids and have positive pro-social benefits mm -hmm. than trying to do this stuff where there aren't going to be the benefits. And we're also getting sucked into a measurement system that is... Uh, like you know, digging a hole and throwing dirt back in it at the same time. And and you mentioned you're working on the this alternative assessment, assessment system, right. um, and it reminds me of when I last spoke with you about the school in Sacramento. What, what's the name of the school? By it's the way, it's called West Sacramento Early College Prep. West Sacramento Early College Prep. When we last spoke about the school, you were telling me about it, and now it's uh, the it's mixed grades. Right? Yeah, we have multi-age. Multi-age, yeah, not mixed grades, multi-age, which yeah. I actually had when I, I went to elementary school the, um, from kindergarten through second grade in, in Vermont, and I, went, yeah. I was yeah. in a multi-age. Yeah, it was multi-age, yeah. yeah. That was in the 70s. So, and re you know, remember, band, high school bands and athletic teams mm -hmm. are multi-age. Yeah, indeed. Because you wouldn't expect all the ninth graders to be able to perform right. and learn unless they work with the olders. Right. Same idea. Um, yeah. Workplaces are also, also yes, multi-age. Yes, they are. Yeah, very multi-age. This place being an example <laughs> of me being one extreme. <laughs> um, but I asked you, how do you know when they're ready to graduate? And your answer was, why would they not be? That's right. Um, so, okay. I, I That was one of those things I, I was left with. Right. Why would why wouldn't they not be? Right. Well, and then I walked away and went, but wait, how wh wh how does it work? Like, wh well, when did I mean, they we, we certainly you know? say that. I mean, we have some of these things where the kids have to. I mean, there's still the reality is we still have credits now. How we account for those is another matter, which I won't get into. <laughs> but the but the issue here is that we believe, first of all, this readiness hypothesis has is severely questioned. Right. What's Re the readiness, the readiness hypothesis? hypothesis oh. Is we say it with young children. Well, uh, they're not ready for school. Right. We say they're not ready. If the mind has this great capacity, they're always ready. Right. Whether or not we have the conditions for them to use what they have is another question. My right. view is most of these places are not ready for the kids. Mm. The kids are certainly ready to learn if we create the right conditions for learning. And I believe the same thing. For example, the GI Bill is a good example. Right after World War II, Congress was scared to death they were going to have millions of soldiers marching in the streets as they did after World War I. So they created the GI Bill. GI Bill not only gave housing, it also gave everybody this opportunity to go to post-secondary. Universities were eager to have them. Mm -hmm. Many of them did not even have a high school diploma. Mm -hmm. They accepted them because mm -hmm. they wanted the revenue. It wasn't all cynical, but there was some of that. Sure. Right? When they went, they flourished. Sure. We have kids at West Sac who are going to Sacramento City College, a community college, uh -huh. as eighth and ninth, so-called eighth and ninths. They're tw 13, 14 year olds. They're getting B's and A's. Yeah. We don't prepare them for it. Do you? Yeah, yeah. They're learning. Yeah. Do you? When they come back, we talk about what they learn, how did they know it, all of the other stuff. But we're not trying to prepare them. The power of the human mind and experience, I think that's what we have to 
begin to understand is the human mind is always wanting to make sense, always learn, and we've contained it. We've said you can't do this until. I mean, when I taught at the yeah. lab school at UCLA, we we had trike paths where the little kids would ride trikes. Every other nursery school or preschool had kids with an arrow going in the same way. Mm-hmm. We didn't put arrows, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, the paths were very thin. <laughs> right. They would come and come in conflict. Right. Everybody in, in these young children said they can't handle conflict. Right. Yes, they could. <laughs> we help work, help them know how right. do you say, right. I want to get by, right. and not just then push their bike through the other kid, right. but ask them if they would please move. Sure. Do, that was in the belief that they didn't have to be prepared for conflict. Right. They were going to learn about conflict by being in a conflict, conflictful place. Right. And then learn. Right. Same thing is true here. Yeah. That when you get to the university, this is a great place. It's a wonderful place. Sitting in a 300-student lecture hall is not a great experience. No. But now figuring out how do I make it here, that's what we're trying to give our kids the capacity to do. Mm-hmm. Not to know how to sit through a 300-student hour lecture, but how to figure out how to get through it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully to also be engaged by it by being much more active by actually raising their hand, by asking questions. Yeah. Um, now, we don't know this yet, if that's going to be the case, but we do know the way it now happens. The kids we serve, 50% of them usually drop out. Mm-hmm. That's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. The consequences of that are, are just so negative. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we're after is they're going to graduate. Mm-hmm. They can only graduate if they're engaged. Mm-hmm. Second thing we're after is they will go on to post-secondary. That can only happen through engagement. Mm-hmm. Now, what then happens after that, we have to also be responsible and watch that, be uh, cognizant of all of this. And also, every day that we're there, part of the reason we have these dialogues is to say, is what we say we're doing really going on? Right. We're trying to hold each other's feet to the fire. When a kid makes a presentation and we say they're thinking like a scientist, where's, where's the, the evidence? evidence? Right. Right? We and we sit together as a group of people, not just one person saying, yeah. he, knows, he or she knows how to do it. We all sit there and say, how is that reflective of our habits of mind? Yeah. What's going on if it's not? What are we going to do so that Andre does this? And um, you said that the, the kids that you work with, that 50% of them drop out, but what are you seeing in the school itself is that is that what you're saying no, in the school you're working no no with? no they're, they're 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 staying with us yeah i mean there are some kids who leave because yeah. they have this view that they wanted to go to the big high school and see the way the world really works but a lot sure. of them are coming back now and what we have is a high attendance rate mm-hmm. i mean that's also what we see in la's best right mm-hmm. when there's attendance something's going on yeah. especially with high school kids yeah. and we also look at tardies not because we want to be rigorous about on time it's a good, unobtrusive measure of are they eager to get here? Sure. Or are they coming in at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? If right. they are, Dragging something's off. off. Yeah. Right? But that, and the other thing that we're seeing is one of the things that happens in our place, we've had a, con- a number of congressional people come through mm-hmm. and outsiders. What they remark about is how engaged the kids are. Mm-hmm. What they remark about is for economically poor kids, and mm-hmm. I'm not happy about this, they look you in the eye and say hello. They're happy. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. We ought to have joyful, happy places for kids, even adolescents. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be dunderheads. <laughs> We're creating kids who are lethargic, who are pissed off. We don't have to do that. And we do it because we're creating those conditions. And our teachers build relationships with kids. Mm-hmm. They really do seek out and convey we care we're not going to let you do that even when you do a jerky thing. And I think those are all things that after school programs, first of all, the good ones I know, that happens. Mm-hmm. But that's the stuff that brings added value. So there's, I got a, about a million more things that I want to talk with you about. But we, we promised my, my wife and daughter that we would have lunch with them, and I'm really eager for you to meet them. I, I yeah. will say, while I'm still sitting here, I, I do a little, I will record a little sort of outro to this afterwards too. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, I, I refer to you as my mentor, that I say I'm going to see yeah, my, my I'm, mentor, I'm very Paul Heckman, and I've been wanting you to meet my wife and daughter for a number of years. And so I, I want to 
I want to wrap up, but but ask you um, if maybe we could do this again. Of course, um, we didn't to. really get to talk too much about parental involvement, yes. and actually, part of the reason for showing you the clip from yeah, Louis was to that. talk that about was that because yeah. my daughter starts pre-K next week at the elementary school. We have universal pre-K in our mm. district, and so uh, you know, I'm I'm eager to get into talking about um, some of the things that we've talked about a little bit in the past about parental involvement yes. and yeah. what that means because I'm starting to see it in a new light. Yeah. But no, I want to thank you so much for the time, and I hope we can do it again so we can continue the conversation. Yes, and now we'll, we'll we'll press stop on the recorder and keep talking anyway. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Eric. Yeah. All right. Nobody believes.